Book Three, Chapter One, Part One of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two by Henry Charles Lee. Book Three, Jurisdiction. Chapter One, Part One, Heresy. The Inquisition was organized for the eradication of heresy and the enforcement of uniformity of belief. We shall have occasion to see hereafter how elastic became the definition of heresy, and we have seen how far afield its extinction led the operations of the Holy Office. But to the last the suppression of unorthodox belief remained the ostensible object of its existence. It is not easy at the present day for those accustomed to universal toleration to realize the importance attached by statesmen in the past to unity of belief or the popular abhorrence for any deviation from the standard dogma these convictions were part of the mental and moral fiber of the community and were the outcome of the assiduous teachings of the church for centuries until it was classed with the primal truths that it was the highest duty of the sovereign to crush out dissidents at whatever cost and that hatred of the heretic was enjoined on every Christian by both divine and human law. The heretic was a venomous reptile spreading contagion with his very breath, and the safety of the land required his extermination as a source of pestilence. In the earlier periods of the Inquisition, moreover, when the hierarchy was filled with new Christians of doubtful orthodoxy, it was essential to know that the sacraments necessary to salvation were not vitiated by the apostasy of the ministrant, for his intention is indispensable to their validity. No man could tell how many priests there were, like Andres Gonzalez, parish priest of San Martin de Tallavera, who, on his trial at Toledo in 1486, confessed that for fourteen years he had secretly been a Jew, and that he had no intention when he celebrated Mass, nor had he granted absolution to the penitents confessing to him. There is also a classical story, widely circulated, of Fray Garcia de Zapata, prior of the Geronimite monastery of Toledo, who, when elevating the host, used to say, Get up, little Peter, and let the people look at you, and who always turned his back on the penitent to whom he pretended to grant absolution. The merciless zeal of the Holy Office might gradually relieve people of this danger, but it intensified by its methods the unreasoning abhorrence of heresy. The honest cavalier Oviedo, about the middle of the sixteenth century, merely phrases the current opinion of the time when he says that all possible punishments prescribed by the canons and admitted by the laws should be visited on the persons and property of heretics. They eat the bread of the good, they render the land infamous, by their conversations they lead souls to perdition, and, with their marriages and kinships, they corrupt the blood of good houses. As time wore on, this increased rather than diminished. Galceron Albanal, Archbishop of Granada, who had been tutor of Philip IV, wrote to his former pupil, April 12, 1621, to express his horror at learning that the English ambassador had been allowed to have divine service performed in his house, after the rites of his sect. The king should not allow it. It is the greatest of sins, and unless it is remedied, we shall all perish. 
it is an accursed reason to allege that the accursed king permits the spanish ambassadors to have mass celebrated in london the english ambassador should be dismissed and the english king can send away the spanish ambassador if the council of state interferes let philip show them the way of god the licenciado de angulo should have a bishopric because he resigned his office as fiscal of the council rather than affix his name to a paper in which the english king was styled defender of the faith and albanel declares his readiness to resign his own see in angulo's favour to a population sedulously trained in such sentiments the awful ceremonies of the auto de fe were a triumph of faith of which they felt proud and they were filled with pious exultation when the flames of the brasero consumed the bodies of heretics who passed through temporal to eternal fire it was a vindication of the honour of god and it is necessary to understand and bear in mind this temper when considering the performance by the inquisition of its allotted task the jurisdiction of the holy office over heresy was confined to the baptized for baptism is a condition precedent to heresy the unbaptized are outside of the church and it has no spiritual authority over them in the auto de fe of sixteen twenty three at valladolid a woman taken out to be relaxed for judaism declared that she was not baptized whereupon the proceedings respecting her were stopped and she was remanded for investigation although baptism can be validly administered by a heretic yet in the trial of foreign protestants minute inquiry was made as to the details of their baptism in their sects so as to be assured that they were truly baptized in the case of jacques pinzon at toledo in 1598 his advocate ingeniously but vainly argued that this could not be assumed because it could not be proved that the minister had the proper intention without which the right was invalid age placed slender limits on inquisitional jurisdiction children were considered capable of committing heresy as soon as they were dolicapaces at six or seven years but they were not held to be responsible until they reached the years of discretion this was fixed by torquemeda at twelve for girls and fourteen for boys below which they were not to be made to abjure in public but the limit was frequently infringed in 1501 inesita daughter of marcos garcia between nine and ten years old and isabel daughter of alvaro ortolano aged ten were sentenced to appear in an auto de fe they had confessed to fasting once or twice and the latter had been told by her father not to eat pork in 1660 at valladolid joseph rodriguez age eight accused of judaism was regularly tried with all the complicated formalities of procedure occupying a year and was made to give evidence against his father and brother he was absolved secretly and placed in the penitential prison for instruction of course there was no maximum limit of age in sixteen thirty eight at valladolid maria diaz a hundred years old was thrown into the secret prison for judaism and her trial went forward responsibility to the inquisition varied with the grade of heresy which was carefully classified by theologians material heresy is error in a baptized person arising from ignorance and if the ignorance is inculpable 
it is scarce to be considered as true heresy deserving of punishment formal or mixed heresy is voluntary and pertinacious error pertinacity being adherence to what is known to be contrary to the teachings of the church this formal heresy is again distinguished into internal or mental and external internal or mental heresy is that which is secretly entertained and is not manifested by either word or act external heresy is subdivided into occult and public occult external is that which is manifested by words or signs either in secret or to one or two persons only as though a man in the solitude of his chamber should say there is no god or should utter his thought in the presence of another public external is that which is manifested openly either in public or to more than two persons the bearing of these distinctions on the work of the inquisition will be apparent hereafter there was still another definition of even greater importance heresy was both a sin and a crime as a sin it was subject to the forum internum or form of conscience as a crime to the forum externum or judicial forum a penitent in sacramental confession admitting to heretical belief might receive sacramental absolution and be pardoned in the sight of god but the crime like that of murder or any other violation of human laws would still remain to be punished in the judicial forum we shall see that in the inquisition the penitent who confessed and repented and received absolution was still subject to penalties ranging according to circumstances from slight penance to death prior to the organization of the inquisition in the thirteenth century the cognizance of heresy was a natural attribute of the episcopal office the duty of persecution was negligently performed and when the cataran and valdensian heresies threatened the predominance of the latin church and the albigensian crusade left it master of the situation the inquisition gradually sprang up as an assistance to the bishops there was some rivalry but the bishops as a rule did not share in the confiscations and as few of them had persecuting zeal sufficient to induce them to perform this gratuitous service the field was virtually abandoned to the new organization in the lands where it was introduced still the episcopal rights were undisputed jurisdiction over the heresy was recognized to be cumulative that is it was enjoyed by both tribunals either of which was entitled to any case in which it had taken prior action finally in thirteen twelve the council of vienne in response to complaints of the cruelty of inquisitors formulated a settlement under which the combined action of both jurisdictions was required in all commitments to harsh detentive prison in all sentences to torture and in all final sentences unless the one called upon to cooperate failed to come within eight days this embodied in the acts of the council technically known as the clementines remained the law of the church the bishops however remained indifferent and rarely took independent action the inquisitorial districts were large comprehending a number of dioceses the episcopal jurisdiction was limited to the subjects of a single diocese it was impossible for the bishops to assemble at the seat of the tribunal and when an auto de fe was in preparation 
they would usually delegate their ordinaries to represent them or commission an inquisitor to act such was the somewhat cumbrous combination of episcopal and inquisitorial jurisdiction which the founding of the holy office brought into spain independent action by bishops still continued occasionally of which we have seen examples volume one page one sixty seven and it was recognized though subordinated to the inquisitorial jurisdiction in a brief of innocent the eighth september twenty five fourteen eighty seven conferring on Torquemada appellate power in cases before episcopal courts, whether they were acting separately or in conjunction with the inquisitors, provided appeal was made before the sentence was rendered. The popes of the period, moreover, were careful to maintain the assertion of episcopal participation in inquisitorial proceedings, as is manifested in the superscription of their letters addressed ordinarius et inquisitoribus or assuming that the inquisitors had acted under episcopal as well as papal authority theoretically this continued throughout the sixteenth century the writers of highest authority treat bishops and inquisitors as possessing cumulative jurisdiction so that both could prosecute either separately or conjointly and the old canons were still cited threatening with deposition the bishop who was negligent in purifying his diocese of heresy thus there was no legislation depriving the episcopal order of its traditional jurisdiction over heresy yet the inquisition claimed and made good the claim that its cognizance was exclusive and that the clementines merely gave to the bishops a consultative privilege in the three sentences specified no such primitive right was conferred in the papal commissions to the inquisitors-general and the only source of such right is to be looked for in Ferdinand's masterful determination that nothing should interfere with the swift operation of his favorite institution, and no claim be admitted to a share in its pecuniary results. It was natural that he would favor the Inquisition, for procedure in the spiritual courts was public, and was much less likely to result in conviction than the secrecy of the tribunals, and by 1500, he seems to have established the matter to his satisfaction for in a letter of august nineteenth of that year to the archbishop of cagliari he expresses surprise that the prelate without his license or a commission from the inquisitor-general should have meddled with matters belonging to the inquisition and have collected certain pecuniary penances although he had already been forbidden to do so this prohibition is now emphatically repeated he is to have nothing to do with the affairs of the inquisition except to aid the inquisitor when called upon and he is at once to hand over his collections to the receiver pedro lopez who is going to sardinia nothing can be more peremptory in tone than this missive although the sardinian tribunal was thoroughly disorganized and was about to be reconstructed by sending a full corps of officials we may assume from this that if there had been any resistance on the part of the castilian episcopate it had by this time been overcome that this concentration of exclusive jurisdiction in the inquisition was the work of the royal power and was not universally admitted even by the middle of the sixteenth century is manifest from the remark of bishop simancas himself an experienced inquisitor when he says that it is the duty of bishops to inquire into cases of heresy 
but they ought to send the prisoner and the testimony to the inquisitor, for otherwise their inexperience is apt to result in failure, as he had often found. There ought to be a papal decree prescribing this, and, in default of it, the king is accustomed to order it of the bishops. Of this we have an example. In 1527, when the vicar-general of the archbishop of toledo was required by inquisitor-general manrique to surrender a cleric whom he had arrested and was prosecuting simanca still recognizes the duty of the bishop to make the preliminary inquiries into heresy but even this had long before been forbidden although there was a prolonged struggle before it was surrendered in fifteen thirty two the ordinary of huesca issued an edict of faith modelled on that of the Inquisition, calling for the denunciation of heretics, for which the Empress Regent sharply rebuked him in a letter of March 23rd, calling it an innovation unknown since the Inquisition had been introduced, and threatening him with fitting measures for the repetition of such intrusion on the jurisdiction of the Inquisition. In spite of this, Archbishop Ayala of Valencia, in 1565, and his successor, the blessed Juan de Ribera, in 1576, and another bishop in 1567, repeated the indiscretion for which they were promptly called to account. When, in 1583, the bishop of Tortosa committed the same offense, the Suprema wrote, January 14, 1584, that the popes had given the Inquisition exclusive jurisdiction over heresy, and had prohibited its cognizance by others, and that he must not in future intervene in such matters. Undeterred by this, the Council of Tarragona in 1591 reasserted the ancient episcopal jurisdiction by ordering all bishops to be vigilant in watching their flocks, and, if they found any disseminators of heresy, to see to their condign punishment according to the canons. How completely justified was the council in this, and how false was the assertion of the Suprema, was manifested in 1595, when the Archbishop of Granada complained to Clement VIII that the inquisitors had forbidden him to issue an edict on the subject of heresy, and the Pope forthwith wrote to the inquisitor-general that this must not be allowed, for the faculties delegated to inquisitors in no way abridged episcopal jurisdiction after this at least the suprema could not plead ignorance and yet it persisted in the assertion that it knew to be false a savage quarrel broke out in guatemala between the bishop juan ramirez and the commissioner of the inquisition felipe ruiz del caral who was also the dean of the chapter ramirez imprisoned him and undertook to organize a sort of inquisitorial tribunal of his own whereupon in sixteen o nine the suprema presented to philip the third for signature a letter which it describes as drawn in the form customary for cases where bishops interfere in matters concerning the faith this describes how the pope in instituting the inquisition evoked to himself all cases connected with heresy and committed them to the inquisitor-general and his deputies, inhibiting all judges and ordinaries from intervening in them, in consequence of which they have ceased to take cognizance of such matters, and have referred to the inquisitors whatever came to their knowledge. As the bishop has laid his hands on things beyond his jurisdiction, 
he is ordered in future not to meddle with anything touching the inquisition as otherwise fitting measures will be taken the only foundation for this mendacious assertion was as we shall see hereafter that in the struggle made by ferdinand and charles v to prevent appeals to rome from the inquisition briefs were sometimes obtained from popes evoking to themselves all cases pending in the tribunals and committing them to the inquisitor-general with inhibition to any one including cardinals and officials of the curia to entertain appeals from him in this there is absolutely nothing that relates to original jurisdiction and nothing to limit the traditional functions of the episcopate but the suprema held the records and could assert what it pleased concerning them still the bishops did not wholly abandon their rights and cases continued occasionally to occur in which of course they were worsted they were frequent enough to justify in a formulary of sixteen forty five the insertion of a formula framed to meet them it is addressed to the provisor of barrios and recites that the fiscal complains of him as having commenced proceedings against a certain party for heretical propositions as this is a matter pertaining exclusively to the inquisition he is commanded to surrender it under the customary penalties of excommunication and fine the fiscal also demands that the provisor be prosecuted so that in future neither he nor anyone else shall dare to usurp the jurisdiction of the inquisition and the document ends with a statement that the prosecution has been commenced such methods were not easily resisted when in sixteen sixty six the barcelona tribunal learned that the bishop of Sosona, on a visitation had taken considerable testimony against some parties in a matter of faith it at once claimed the papers which he promptly surrendered it had the audacity to propose to prosecute him but the suprema wisely ordered it to take no action against him yet benedict the fourteenth repeated the assertion of clement the eighth that the popes in delegating powers to the inquisitors had never intended to interfere with episcopal jurisdiction or to relieve bishops from responsibility not content with thus depriving the episcopate of its immemorial jurisdiction over heresy inquisitors sought to obtain cognizance of a class of cases clearly belonging to the spiritual courts on the ground of inferential heresy bigamy disregard of church observances infractions of discipline and the like in fifteen thirty six the tribunal of valencia created much excitement by including in its edict of faith a number of matters of the kind but on complaint from the vicar-general the suprema ordered the omission of everything not in the old edicts the attempts continued and in fifteen fifty two a decision was required from the suprema that eating pork on saturdays was not a case for the inquisition and the concordia of fifteen sixty eight contains a clause prohibiting inquisitors from entertaining cases belonging to the ordinaries in a carta acordada of november twenty three sixteen twelve the suprema made an attempt to define the boundaries of the rival jurisdictions in which it allowed to the spiritual courts exclusive jurisdiction only over ecclesiastics in matters touching upon their duties as pastors 
the ministry of the church simony and cases relating to orders benefices and spiritual affairs while it admitted cumulative jurisdiction in usury gambling and incontinence restricted as were these admissions the supreme itself did not observe them in sixteen thirty seven sebastian de los rios cura of tombrio de arriba who met with one or two accidents in handling the sacrament feared accusation by his enemies of irreverence denounced himself to the provisor of astorga and was fined in four thousand maravedis in spite of this he was prosecuted in sixteen forty by the tribunal of valladolid he vainly pleaded his previous trial the suprema assumed its invalidity in ordering his incarceration in the secret prison where he died this process of encroachment continued and towards the end when there was little real heresy to occupy its energies its records are full of cases which even under its own definitions belonged unquestionably to the spiritual courts in observance of ecclesiastical precepts of all kinds irregularities in the celebration of mass taking communion after eating eating flesh on fast days working and in attendance at mass on feast days and other miscellaneous business wholly foreign to its original functions it does not argue favorably for the spanish episcopate that they seem to have welcomed this relief from their duties and strenuously resisted the abolition of the inquisition in eighteen thirteen which restored to them under limitations their original functions after the restoration the archbishop of seville in eighteen eighteen gathered evidence to show that the cura of san marcos had not confessed for many years and then in place of punishing him handed the papers over to the tribunal this was probably fortunate for the peccant priest as the suprema ordered that nothing should be done except to keep him under surveillance and that the archbishop should be warmly thanked and assured that the necessary steps had been taken there was one formality preserved which recognized the episcopal jurisdiction over heresy we have seen that in the clementines the concurrence of both bishop and inquisitor was requisite in ordering severe detentive incarceration in sentencing to torture and in the final sentence no allusion was made to this in the bull of sixtus the fourth authorizing the appointment of inquisitors for castile no allusion in fact was necessary as it had been for nearly two centuries a matter of course in inquisitorial procedure but the earliest inquisitors took no account of it and sixtus in his brief of february eleventh fourteen eighty two called forth by complaints of their cruelty insisted on the concurrence of episcopal officials in all judgments ferdinand was indisposed to anything that threatened interference with the autonomy of the inquisition and his experience of valencia with the representatives of rodrigo borgia the absent archbishop showed him how this episcopal right could be exercised to obstruct proceedings and compel division of the spoils he doubtless represented to sixtus that there were many of jewish blood among the bishops and their officials whom it would not be safe to trust for sixtus with borgia behind him met such objections with a brief of may twenty five fourteen eighty three addressed to all the spanish archbishops in this he ordered them to warn any of their suffragans of jewish extraction not to meddle with the business of the inquisition 
but to appoint an old Christian, approved by the archbishop, who should have exclusive powers over all such matters. In case this was not done, the archbishop was to make the appointment for each diocese, and the appointee was to be wholly independent of the bishop. Then a question arose whether Torquemada's appellate jurisdiction as inquisitor-general could override judgments in which bishops participated. But this was settled in Torquemada's favor by a brief of Innocent VIII, September 25, 1487, thus completely subordinating episcopal to inquisitorial jurisdiction. Ferdinand was not satisfied, but he had to acquiesce and adopt the device of the bishops, delegating one of the inquisitors as their representative, an expedient for which precedents can be found in the early inquisition of Languedoc. That this soon became common is indicated in the instructions of 1484, which warns the inquisitor holding the commission that he is not to deem himself superior to his colleagues. Another plan was to require the bishops to issue a commission as vicar-general to whomsoever the inquisitors might designate, as Ferdinand ordered the bishops of Aragon to do in a letter of January 27, 1484. The individual thus selected became an official of the tribunal and was born on its payroll for a salary to be paid out of the confiscations for which he might vote. Of this we have examples in Martin Navarro thus serving at Teruel in 1486 on a yearly stipend of 2,000 sueldos, and in Martin Garcia included as vicar general at a salary of 3,000 sueldos in the Saragossa payroll of the same year. It is possible that the bishops grew restive under this absorption of their powers and that they remonstrated with the Holy See, for, in 1494, when Alexander the Sixth issued commissions to the four new inquisitors-general, there appeared a new condition requiring them to exercise their functions in conjunction with the ordinaries of the sees, or their vicars or officials, or other persons deputized by the ordinaries. Ferdinand, however, was not accustomed to brook opposition to his will. The most efficient and economical expedient was the episcopal delegation to an inquisitor, and this he enforced by whatever pressure was necessary. Thus when, in 1498, the Bishop of Tarazona demurred to do this, Ferdinand, in a letter of November 21st, brushed aside his reasons and imperatively ordered the delegation to be sent at once. Still the bishop recalcitrated, and Ferdinand wrote on January 4th, 1499, that he must do so at once, no excuse would be admitted, and nothing would change his determined purpose. But it was not until March that he learned the bishop's submission. In this same year, 1499, he broke down, in similar rude fashion, the resistance of two other bishops, and when, in 1501, the Archbishop of Tarragona notified the Tribunal of Barcelona not to hear without his participation, certain cases committed to them on appeal. Ferdinand expressed his indignant surprise. The archbishop must remove the obstruction at once, and not await a second command. Ferdinand's resolve was to render episcopal concurrence a mere perfunctory form, and, when bishops presumed to act, 
or the vicar's general were distasteful to him, there are various cases which attest to his imperious methods of dealing with them. He had some trouble on this account with his son, Alfonso, Archbishop of Saragossa, who in 1511 obtained the perpetual administratorship of Valencia, and who persisted in retaining as his delegate the vicar-general of Valencia, Miser Soler, against the commands of his father, so that in 1512 and again in 1513 there was a delay in the celebration of autos de fe, greatly to Ferdinand's annoyance. These occasional obstructions explain why, as he wrote November 27, 1512, he endeavored to reduce it to a rule that the ordinary should confer his powers on the inquisitors, and should not be allowed to see the cases. The people did not view the matter in the same light, and regarded the participation of the bishop or his representatives as some guarantee against the arbitrary proceedings of the inquisitors. Among the complaints of the prisoners of Huayen in 1506 to Philip and Juana is one reciting that the inquisitors act independently of the episcopal provisor and communicate nothing to him, so as to be able to work their wicked will without interference. Similarly, the Cortes of Monzon in 1512 included among the abuses requiring redress the royal letters concerning episcopal concurrence, the delegation of powers to inquisitors and other methods by which the participation of bishops was evaded. And when Leo X in 1516 confirmed the Concordia, he ordered that the ordinaries should resume their functions. It was the same in Castile, where, as we have seen, volume 1, page 217, one of the petitions of the Cortes of Valladolid in 1518 was that the Episcopal ordinaries should take part in the judgments. End of Book 3, Chapter 1, Part 1